Luke 24, verse 50. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace to us in, in all of the ways that, uh, that we do see and then in the thousands of ways that we do not see, God. This morning, would you just remove anything that we have, any, any distraction that we're thinking about, anything that we have uh, going on internally, any stress, any of that, God, and just give us your word. Would you show up here today, this morning, God, just to relieve those stresses, relieve anything we do have going on, and, and just remind us that you are in control, you are sovereign, you are powerful, and that ultimately we can have rest, we can have joy in you. So we thank you, and we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Leah and I, we dog sat for Leah's brother's dog, who is a, her name is Sela. she's a silver lab, um, so just a huge dog in comparison to what we have. We have a, a teacup Yorkie and uh, schna Schnorkie. It's a Schnauzer Yorkie. Um, they're really little. Um, so uh, what happened was we were, we were going to dox it for him. It ended up being like a month, which was just awful. Um, because Bear, our bigger-ish dog, and Sela, they, they loved to wrestle and fight and scream at each other. Um, and we couldn't put Sela in the back bathroom because... She would like cry and whimper throughout the night. It's like, oh, that's so annoying. So what we did was we put her gigantic kennel um, in the corner, and then we put bears on top, you know, kind of like a little hotel thing. Um, so it was great in theory. Um, but uh, all through the day, like I said, Bear and Sila, they just kept fighting. They just kept wrestling and chasing each other around the room. And our coffee table is it's, it's put together. It's not, I wouldn't say it's very well put together. Um, so, like, just a brisk wind, the door opens a little bit, and the coffee table's like, woo-hoo. Um, so they were just getting too rowdy, and so my idea was, you know what, I should get a spray bottle so that I can spray the guilty parties, and maybe it'll, you know, make them stop. Um, but, so they were just super loud, it was really frustrating, it was really annoying, and I was like, man, can this get any worse? Which was my first mistake, um, because 1 a.m., I have a meeting at 6 a.m. the next, the, like here in like five hours, and Leah has to be up super early for work, um, and we can just hear all sorts of sounds going on in the corner where the, the dog hotel is, um, and it's like gurgling and, and coughing and whimpering, and it's the worst sort of sounds, and I, so I'm spraying all throughout the night, I'm like, oh, this is terrible, and I'd wake up and I'd spray them, and it wouldn't work, and at one point, uh, Sela's like just whimpering really loud, so I just chunked the water bottle out of him. Like, Stop yelling! <laughs> so Leo wakes up, and I was like, well, I'm just taking the dogs out. And so I thought again, I was like, man, can this get any worse? Second mistake. Um, 2 a.m., nothing really changed. They're still crying. I, this is after I chunked the spray bottle at them. Um, but then I see why Sela was whimpering. They both got into something, I guess, like both dogs did. Um, and so they both had some really bad, uh, upset tummies. We'll just say that much. Um, so just to keep it civilized. Bear, he didn't want to have an upset tummy in his area where he wanted to be. So he just put his, his bottom to the kennel and just upset tummied everywhere outside of that. 
Um, so uh, it was on top of Sila's kennel, and it was just terrible. So like, I would be whimpering too if I was Sila. Like, get me out of here, man. Um, so I thought again, man, can this get any worse? Third mistake, if you're counting. So I get outside with them, and I'm just super frustrated. It's 2 a.m., and, and so they're doing their business. They're upset tummies everywhere. Um, and they just, you know, they, they keep wrestling and fighting in between there, going to the bathrooms. I'm like, so I'm doing that whisper yell because we have neighbors. So I was like, stop doing that. Like, stop. Come on, let's get out of here. And then uh, I, uh, my bare foot goes into one of the cow patty-sized piles. And I thought... I'm not saying, can this get any worse? Like, this is, this is it. This is it. Um, it was one of the worst nights of my life. Um, I tell you that story because it is terrible. Um, but also, I tell you that story because this is kind of like that question, like, can this get any worse, is what we find from uh, the disciples in our passage, like a little bit before it. So what happened is they just lost all the joy that they had. They were walking with Jesus. It was, it was a great time. They just... Uh, were together with him, fellowship with him, walking in the same steps as he did, um, and they lost all that joy. Look at uh, verse 41. And while they still disbelieved for joy, like that's kind of our key word, is just joy. They disbelieved for it. Why? Jesus just died. Their Messiah, the one that they've been waiting on and, and have heard countless stories, and, and they know the scripture that say, this Jesus is coming, this Messiah is coming, the supposed Savior of the world. He just died. He was just killed. And so verse 41 makes total sense. They're disbelieving for joy. Can this get any worse? The disciples planted their joy in Jesus, like he's finally here, and then Jesus was taken from them. Like at this time, yes, Jesus told them over and over again, like, no, I'm, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to die forever. But I don't think they ever understood it. Otherwise, they would still have this joy, but they didn't. They disbelieved for joy. The guy that they believed in just was killed. But that's not the end of the story. There's a joy that cannot be taken from them. And it comes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is actually the guide to joy. Christianity rises or falls on this very point. The central point of Christianity is not what Jesus taught. It's not moralistic. It's what he did. The fact that Jesus was dead, no heartbeat, no blood pumping into his body, no brain activity, no life left in his body for three days. And yet he rose again to life in the resurrection. This point validates everything we believe about being forgiven of our sins, about being made righteous, about having a right relationship with the Father. If Jesus did not rise again, then none of those things are true. So what we see is we find joy in planting our roots into the resurrection of Jesus Christ because the resurrection of Jesus Christ gets us there in two ways. The first is... The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. And the second is the resurrection of Jesus gives us purpose. And both of those, what we're going to see is both of those lead to that joy that we just read about. The great joy after, before disbelieving for joy. There's none there. After great joy. How does that happen? God gives them hope. God gives them purpose. 
So you and I obviously want to live a life of joy. Nobody wants to be unhappy. Nobody wants to be like, you know what, sadness, I love it. <laughs> joy. So let's just take a look at the first thing the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us to get us to that joy, hope. Uh, two things. First, by his resurrection, Jesus gives the disciples and you and I a picture of the creation we are headed to, and that picture gives us hope. Look at uh, verses 38, verses, verse 38 through 43. Actually, we'll just start in 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. Like, he was not there previously. He just stood there, which is crazy. Um, and he said to them, peace to you, which obviously you have to say if you just appear into a room. Like, peace, hold on. Uh, but they were startled and frightened, and reasonably so, and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. He could be touched. He could eat fish. They could recognize him, just not fully. He could just appear into the room where they are. So here's what that means for you and I. If we are believers, all that we experience here and now on earth is just a super poor reflection of what we're going to see one day. All that we see and know here is a reflection of the resurrection version that we're going to see in the new heaven and the new earth. So thinking about this gives people hope. If they're in the middle of their pain and their deprivation or starvation or loneliness, and they see that Jesus was like this, this is going to give them hope. So thinking about what is to come gives hope to, to the disciples, gives hope to you and I if we're believers because what's to come is simply amazing. And we're still going to eat. We can still be touched. It's not a spirit sort of thing. It's like we're going to have a body. So just think about it for a second. We'll sleep and not have nightmares. We will wake up and not feel groggy or have that pain in our back from just sleeping. We will start the day and not need a gallon of coffee. Or we'll still have coffee and it's just going to taste amazing and that's it. Or we'll go outside to a resurrected sunrise where we'll pick our resurrected food from the resurrected ground and we'll make breakfast that's hearty, healthy, but also tastes good. Our taste buds will be resurrected. And Jesus was hungry, so we're going to feel that too. And we're going to have to be satisfied by Jesus, by the food that God gives us. And when we crack our eggs, we don't have to worry about little pieces of shell falling into it. Like, that's amazing. I don't know if we'll just be able to eat the egg or what, but we won't have to worry about it. But just simply thinking of the resurrection that is to come gives us great hope in the midst of whatever it is we're going through. Because let's be honest. It's sometimes scary to think about death. Like, to think about that moment when you breathe your last breath. Wherever you are, however it happens, we don't know. But that's a scary thought sometimes, even, even as believers. But the resurrected Jesus gives us hope because it shows us just what we can look forward to in our resurrected body. Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, she was a quadriplegic who lost all movement in her arms and legs, everything neck down. 
um, after a diving accident. She had this to say. Somewhere in my broken, paralyzed body is this seed of what I shall become. The paralysis makes what I am to become all the more grand when you contrast atrophied, useless legs against splendorous, resurrected legs. I'm convinced that if there are mirrors in heaven, and why not, the image I'll see will be unmistakably Johnny, although a much better, brighter Johnny. In the new heaven and new earth, the lame walk. The blind see, the lonely have companionship, the poor abound with riches, the resurrected version of you is coming in Christ Jesus, and that's what gives us hope. The resurrected Jesus gives us hope because it shows us what we have to look forward to in our own resurrected body. And it's hopeful, it's not scary. Not only that, Jesus' resurrection shows them that there is a hope in the midst of pain. So if you go back to verse 39, he says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. He's showing them his scars. He's showing them, look, this, I'm the same Jesus who was crucified. You can see the holes in my hand. You can see these scars. But why? Why does he show them his scars in his hands and his feet? To show them that the worst moment in history the crucifixion of an innocent man, the killing of Jesus Christ who had done no wrong was not for nothing. He shows them the scars on his hands and feet to show them that pain means something. It's not for nothing. When pain comes, life is going to feel like it's out of control, like God isn't there, like, like he isn't working, like surely he's like just taking a break for a minute. But Jesus shows them his scars, his own scars on his body to show them there's a hope in your pain. I'm working. You think that I didn't let this happen? Think about the hardest time in your life where you felt like God was most absent. Where you felt like everything was going out of control. And just imagine if God opened your eyes to everything that was going on. All the ways that he was working. The physical scars, the emotional scars, those battle wounds aren't for nothing. That gives us hope. Now, we probably won't ever realize or understand or maybe just a little bit of what was going on. Um, and like our pains are probably always going to be for us. Just like, oh, I hate this pain. Um, until we get our resurrected bodies where we're like, oh, yeah, where we have our resurrected brain. And we can say, I see why that happened. I see what this is for. But our pains have a purpose, and since they have a purpose, we have hope. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for our good. Not all good things happen. Not all things happen for happiness. All things work for our good. That's why the disciples have hope here. Jesus just told them, he's, like a little bit before this, he says, you're going to suffer like I did, uh, and then I'm leaving you. Like, for all intents and purposes, that's just really sad. It's like, oh, man, this, our Savior, he said, we're going to live a life like that. We're probably going to be persecuted, and we're going to suffer. And now he's leaving, but they're joyful. It's supposed to be sad, but they're joyful. This is the Christian life. No matter what comes in life, we, too, have our hope because our pain is for our good. It's not just for nothing. Now, this just makes logical sense if we think about it, I feel like, because it makes no sense for us to have, um, for us to base our hope 
on our ability to make a good life for ourselves because, like, what if we're not able to? There has to be hope in the pain. Our hope has to lie in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our hope has to lie in something that death cannot touch. So uh, just my question to you is, what is your hope in? Is it in something that death or disease or famine can take away from you? What is your hope in? Second point, uh, purpose. The resurrection of Jesus gives us purpose. Uh, so what Jesus does when he leaves them, and when he leaves them, uh, the charges that he does leave the disciples, um, he shows them that he, they do not have to be on a quest where they have to have the most amazing life here. So essentially just the exact opposite of, you're going to have your best life now. It's the opposite of that. Uh, J.D. Greer, he's a pastor in one of the Carolinas. They're both Carolinas to me. Um, but he likes to say it like this. If the resurrection is true, then bucket lists don't matter. If the resurrection is true, then bucket lists don't matter. Because if the resurrection is true, it doesn't matter what we miss out on down here. We get a much better version of it in the new heavens and new earth. For our culture, our city, our church, the thing that we look back on and see why we didn't make disciples, why we didn't evangelize, why we didn't share the gospel with those God has called us to on our streets and in our jobs, the number one reason will be because we did not want to sacrifice. We want life to be comfortable and easy and to be the, the end-all, be-all. We have to see all of the coolest things on earth. And, and so we spend countless of thousands of dollars and all this time to go see these places. We, we have to get married. We have to do that thing. We have to, for our life to be okay before we die, like I want to make this happen, a bucket list. None of those things are bad things. All of those, all of those things are just a puny, weak reflection of what we're going to see one day. What is to come? We don't have to have those things here, the new earth. We'll actually have the, the actual, the perfect, the better version of all of those things. Bucket lists don't matter if the resurrection is true. This means we do not have to live our lives in such a way as to see all of these things. In fact, it means the opposite. We can now say, here on earth, now, I'm willing to forgo, to forsake seeing some of these things because I get to see them in eternity. And that's all right. We will never sacrifice in our lives if we think that earth is all there is. If we think we have to build up a life for ourselves here. In fact, there are men and women across the globe who have, uh, who, who have read this, they understand their purpose, they understand what they are doing. Um, and so what they did is they just forsake their security, their safety, their homes, everything, to go across the world to nations, unreached, dangerous. They don't know the language. They're giving up all of those things. They probably can't go on vacation anymore after that. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they don't even live. Why? Because all the things we miss here, we're going to get in eternity, and it's going to be better. <coughs> but here's the other thing that this shows us. People matter. Jesus, when he's first resurrected and his friend Mary comes to see him, she doesn't recognize him. Jesus actually had to constantly say as resurrected by like, it's, it's, it's I, it's Jesus, it's me. Um, then people, rec they would recognize him after that and be like, hold up, 
It is you. Like, it, they would be looking at him, but not really noticing him or seeing him. So this means for you and I that the, uh, there's a perfection of our physical bodies in the resurrection. And so we'll be strangely familiar to, like, if we see each other in eternity, which I hope that we do. And we like, Man, you look really familiar. Like, oh, it's me, Chris. It's me, Jake. And in that moment, we're going to see all of the perfection that Jesus has given them. We will get to see things that we saw small glimpses of in people's best moments perfected in their new bodies. This means that the investments that we make in people now, we will get to see a perfected version of it in eternity. What we are investing in people now, what we build up in them, what we encourage them with, what we see in their life that is sinful and we take away from them to show them, hey, look, you've got this thing. It's probably a blind spot for you. I don't want to see this in you. All of those things that we invest in people, it has eternal significance. People matter. We are helping the people of God grow into the image of Christ that God has called them to be. When we hold a brother accountable, yeah, that's going to be awkward sometimes, sure. But it has eternal significance. When we call out sin, when we encourage, when we build up, when we share the gospel, when we're getting pushback from the enemy on all sides for just trying to meet together as a church, all of it has eternal significance because people matter. C.S. Lewis, um, he says it like this. It is a serious thing to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet. All day long we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals with whom we uh, joke, work with, marry, snub, and exploit immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Bucket lists don't matter. People matter. Bucket lists don't matter if the resurrection is true, but people matter. We get to, part, we get to be a part of seeing just a little now of what we're going to see perfected in eternity. In verse 47, Jesus tells the disciples their purpose. He says, And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. It's for all the nations. Every person on the earth matters. It's not the ones that we like. Maybe sometimes. It's for all the nations. Every person on the earth matters. The people from other cultures, other languages, other religions, other political parties, other families, other churches. All the nations. What is the purpose of bringing up the nations? Why does God say the nations? Verse 47, the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. So what does that mean? The homeless, the orphan, the prisoner, the high school dropout, the hard people, the unreached people, the unchristian, the types of folks that if they walked into a store, they have extra eyes on them because they don't know how they're going to act or react. 
these people are not born into situations where they are left without hope, where it's not that they need to feel loved by God, they are loved by God. And so when Jesus commissions us to go and to tell them about this forgiveness and about this gospel and about this repentance and that they are loved by God and this message has to get to them, this life is the only shot we have. Bucket lists don't matter. People matter. People should really be the only thing on our bucket list. There are people in our time who will not have another chance, another shot at life. Therefore, people should be the only thing on our bucket list. God does it. God gives each of us talents and gifts and resources. So the question is, how can you use it? How can you use the gifts and the abilities that God has given you not just to invest in a bunch of stuff here that's going to pass away one day or, and that's just a pale reflection of what we're going to get in eternity. How can you use what God has given you for the purpose of the, of the Great Commission? How can you use your only shot? Because here's the thing. What we see in our Bibles is that this kind of sacrificial living for the purpose of God's kingdom is going to give us joy. There is joy in that. We would have joy knowing that our lives were spent for the sake of everyone else finding that eternal life. Like there is something to, to find a fishing spot and to go fishing there, and it's amazing that this is your only spot, but it's a whole other thing to show somebody else that fishing spot and see their joy, the joy on their face. How much more so with eternity? We have it. Let's go tell other people about it. Eternity is amazing in and of itself, but standing at the door, screaming out, here is life. Like rest is right here. Here is salvation. Everyone come here. And those coming to Jesus and finding it to people matter. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Read uh, bucket list. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, sure, yes, do that, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope and purpose, and those things lead to our joy. It's not about finding joy. It's about planting our lives in, into these two things, into the resurrection and letting the fruit of joy grow. The disciples, like they weren't some amazing top-of-the-line social and cultural giants. They were normal people. But they go on to change the world. How? How is it that 12 ordinary men, minus Judas plus the other guy, uh, how is it that these ordinary men went to the nations to proclaim the gospel, to suffer as they did, to be crucified, to be hung, to be beheaded, to be clubbed, speared, and exiled onto an island for the rest of their lives? To see other ordinary men and women come to the same forgiveness and rest, there's not a whole lot of motivation for me. If I'm being honest, hey, I have a message for you to tell other people, but you're going to suffer for it, you might die. Uh, can you just send them a text? 
Why is it that these men go on to the nations that they went to to die these deaths, boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus and his gospel? What is it? It's joy. It's a joy. Peter and Paul, they went to Rome, the mightiest empire ever known to man, and then within three centuries, it would be known as the official religion of the empire. Andrew went to the cannibalistic people in Russia, then to Turkey and to Greece. Thomas went to Syria. Philip went to North Africa. Matthew went to Persia and Ethiopia. Bartholomew went to India and then Arabia. All of these extremely ordinary men impacted the world for the kingdom of God in extraordinary ways. How is this possible? Because they had joy. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gave them hope. It gave them purpose. And you add all of those together and it gives you joy. Because if, if Jesus was resurrected and he said, you're going to be like me, my death is your death. My resurrection is your resurrection. It's like, all right, it doesn't matter if I get killed here. This is what the resurrection of Jesus Christ does for you, does for me. Because we're here at mission, like all of us here, like we're not next level Christians. Or even morally superior agents of our society. We're ordinary. We're normal. We're everyday people with extraordinary, life-changing, over-the-top, amazing news of the gospel of forgiveness and reconciliation that has been given to us to share. And all of it has been given to us through Jesus Christ. And so now we have joy. It's okay if, if we don't see everything in the world. It's okay if we have pain. So my question is, is where's your hope? And where is your purpose? Where is your hope and where is your purpose? 1 Peter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is our hope. This is our purpose. This is our life. This is our joy. And it's planted in something that death and disease could not take away. It's planted in Jesus. There is no other hope. There is no other joy. There is no other life. So uh, in response to the truth of God's word, we're going to take communion together. And if you're a believer in Jesus, then you're welcome to the table to partake with us as a family, as a picture of what we're going to do one day for eternity with Jesus. But uh, if you're in unrepentant sin, or if you are not yet a believer, I ask that you would remain in your seat on the basis of 1 Corinthians. It says you would be eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. If you're in unrepentant sin, turn today. Be reminded this morning of the gospel. Be reminded of the resurrection and let that give you the joy and the hope and the purpose yet again. Turn today. And if you're an unbeliever, believe today. The good news of forgiveness of sin in Jesus' name to the nations, like you're a part of that. We all were at one point if we are believers in this room. If you're not a believer, you're a part of it too. The same news is coming to you. There's, not a, there's a reason why you're here. Don't let it pass by today. For all of us, here's our prayer. 
Father, we admit and confess that we need this body and this blood to have any joy whatsoever that will last. Would you continue to remind us of this resurrection, that as we live, we may have hope, we may have a purpose, and we may have joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, when you're ready, grab the elements, bring them back to your seat, uh, and, and we'll all take them together here in a minute. Um, but take your time. You don't have to rush. You don't have to worry about it. Take your time to pray, to ask God to show up in this time. Uh, and if, if you are an unbeliever, if you are an unrepentant sin, here is your time to do work with the Father. So grab the elements in a minute, bring them back to your seat, and we'll take them together. Part of the reason that we take communion every Sunday is that it's a physical presentation of the gospel. And is that we could not live a life um, that would be built up enough, that would be perfect enough to die this sort of death. But Jesus did. Jesus took on the sins of the world, 
said, I will bear it. I will bear this sin. Here is my body. Here is my blood. Take it, break it, spill it for those who would believe. Let's believe again this morning. Because if we're honest, it's a fight to live a life of joy in the midst of everything that we have to take. But if our joy lies in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then our joy cannot be taken. He's safe, so our joy's gonna be all right. Matthew 28, verse 20 says this. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How is all this true? Because he took on the curse of our sins for us. All on the night when he was betrayed and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for just looking at the grand scheme, the, the history of of the earth, of you constantly stepping into the lives of, of your people and, and to show them your grace and mercy and to say, come to me, you will find rest here, you will find life here, you will find joy here. And God, we cannot thank you enough for Jesus who has secured that on our behalf. Because as much joy as we want, we all know, this whole room knows that there's nothing we can do to attain it. We've all tried. We get nowhere. But in Jesus Christ, the, the death, burial, and then resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us a hope in the midst of whatever we're going through and a purpose to be reminded of, okay, this, this isn't just for me. And in all of that, God, you give us joy. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. That you have done for us what we could not do. And now you call us sons and daughters. Beloved. In all of this, God, we thank you. And we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.